everyone, and welcome to Debating Metal. I'm your host, Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, and along with my co-host, Chris Kay, we discuss and dissect our favorite music, heavy metal. So sit back, relax, pop open a cold one, and let the debate begin. Welcome to the fourth episode of Debating Metal. I'm Kenneth Dean, the Dean of Metal, along with my co-host, Chris K. Say hi, Chris. Hi. <laughs> What's, going <on? laughs> What's going on this week, man? Oh, well, one thing I wanted to talk about was, uh, since we started this, it's kind of opened my eyes up to a few bands I haven't really listened to, which is kind of a cool experience. We went to a Queensryche show a few w- weeks ago at your insistence. And I love Queensryche. I had never really listened to them over the years. I'd heard a few songs here or there, but it, they weren't a you know big band on my radar. I kind of made it a goal this year to go to... I want to try to go to 12 concerts this year, at least. At least 12. I want to try. Um, I mean, one, that, your goal was what, one a month? One a month. That's pretty cool. I it's, like that. It's tough because there's not always a band no, here. We're going to do tribute bands, too. We are. Um <laughs> Uh, we we're we're gonna go see Sammy Hagar later this year. Yes, Testament. we have our tickets for that. Um, so so that's kind of a cool experience. Uh, for me, I, I was really digging what was going on with Queensrÿche. Uh, I like the new singer a lot, Todd Latore, fantastic vocalist, a little more progressive than what it used to be, and I really enjoyed that show. So I definitely recommend to you guys out there. Go out, see concerts. Even if you you don't feel like you necessarily always have the time, you won't regret it. You will always enjoy getting out there and going out and doing it just like I did. Yeah, some of the best concerts that are out there are usually in the clubs. I mean, you know, the the small little club venues, the small little... uh, like Scout Bar is a great one. Yes, here in Houston, Scout Bar, House of Blues, uh, White Oak Music Hall, um, Revention Center is a little bit bigger. Um, yeah, it's definitely bigger. You know, Sugarland Financial intimate. Center is a little bit bigger, but it's 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 still small. You know, it's it's they're much smaller than the arenas, and I like those shows. Those shows are really cool, especially when you have like a House of Blues or Scout Bar, where you you almost feel like you're you can literally shake their hands if mm-hmm. you, you know if you can. And that Queensway show was pretty awesome. When you mentioned before that he's uh, Talatori is a little bit more progressive. It's weird because obviously back then they were extremely progressive in terms of metal and pop metal and heavy metal, whatever it was. But you know they slowly kind of almost went Pink Floydish in their style. Yeah, to things a degree. definitely and changed because I, I, I think they brought it back to to being a metal progressive band. Yeah, I, I like kind of the middle of their career with um, Jeff Tate, where they were doing. What was the the pink album? The, the Rage for Order. Yeah, the Rage for Order mm-hmm. was really cool. It was very progressive. Right. Um, That's their second album. Empire was a cool em- album. Yeah. So I like I like those. It was after that that they just kind of started yeah. to veer off into a little bit of a tangent. Yeah, it just it just never really caught my attention until mm-hmm. now, uh, which which I'm really glad I went to to go see them. And uh, he's brought to my attention as well, uh, Merciful Fate. I never really listened to with for kind of an odd reason. Uh, as big of a Metallica fan as I am, I, I I'm not a fan of their version of the Merciful Feet. I don't fate, know what you uh, dislike about it. 
I love that song. <laughs> it just never me, appealed to me. To me, Metallica is one of the best bands that can put a medley together. But you disagree in that regard. You think you sh- they shouldn't be doing a medley. Well, it's not that they shouldn't be doing a medley because I I like some of them. I've just never been a fan of medleys in general. Mm. I want to. I just want to hear the whole song. Yeah, I, I, and that's, that's, I would love to see or, or hear Metallica do the whole version of Kill the King or the whole version of Tower of Woman. Oh, yeah. But they want to put something on an album, but they they can't decide which song to do. <laughs> they just do all. Like, we'll do them all. And that's what happened with Merciful Fate. It was literally almost every song in the first album. It was then, pretty close, And they yeah. threw Curse of the Fat. No, not, that was... Uh, Curse of the Fat was from that album. No, everything was from the first album. They didn't yeah. do anything from the second album. That was really cool. I mean, I think they did six out of the eight songs that were on the first album, mm-hmm. you know, in 10 minutes. Know, ten, or like they described 10 minutes but I want to hear like the whole evil <laughs> <laughs> all of evil I yeah. want to be evil from beginning to end <laughs> alright well this week's topic uh, is a sort of strange one we're going to be talking about original band members versus replacement band members and how many are left and how many are in the band compared to like for instance Quiet Riot only has one original member which technically may not may or may not be original depending on what time period uh, Guns N' Roses, bands like that. We're going to discuss their lack of original members and yeah. how they sound now and play now and all that stuff. And And we're just going to basically talk about different bands, have our debate whether we like or dislike the fact that they they are original or non-original. So, Yeah, do you want to go out and see a band that has just the bass player or just the drummer left over? You know, it, what, are the, what, what appeals to you about that lineup? That's still around. Is it legitimate? Is it is it is it going to be something that where they put out three or four albums with that lineup af- way after you know the classic lineup, or is it just the tribute band basically? Yeah, and and it's funny you, you mentioned tribute band because that's what I was I was just about to say with the explosion of tribute bands that have been actually becoming almost like national touring acts. These other bands, such as, and I'll take, put for example, L.A. Guns, okay? L.A. Guns, for the longest time, was Stephen Riley with uh, Phil Lewis. Phil Lewis being the original voice of L.A. Guns, Stephen Riley being the original drummer. Tracy Guns had left the band. He decided to do his own version of, of L.A. Guns. And then somehow, somewhere along the way, Tracy and Phil got together. They dumped Stephen Riley. And now their touring is L.A. Guns, and Stephen Riley, you know, was offered a show, and now he's decided to do a full band that's L.A. Guns. To me, listening to the Stephen Riley version of L.A. Guns, or even like a Bobby Blotzer version of Rat, that's a tribute band. Yeah. But if you at least have the original singer, or original guitar player, or there's a core of the original band members, then to me, there's some sort of semblance that that's part of the original band. Basically, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're picking bands, and we're going to, you know, nitpick and see whether or not we we prefer that or the the original. Is it live or is it Memorex? <laughs> and the funny thing is, say that because so many bands today use tracks that we don't even know if it's live or Memorex or not. I'm going to go ahead and start. Okay. And my first band that I'm going to pick is going to be Guns N' Roses. Okay, good one. And even though Guns N' Roses today is very similar to the Guns N' Roses that toured under Use Your Illusion three original members. There was that period of time from Spaghetti Incident on up until the reunion a few years ago where it was just Axl Rose. It's kind of a combination of the Axl Rose version from from a Chinese Democracy and the original lineup. It's it's an amalgamation almost. Yeah, because you have Frank Ferrar and drums 
um, who was part of the the, the Axl Rose you know, solo touring mm-hmm. band, if you want to call it that, and uh, Richard Fortas, who was this towards the latter part of the, the Axl Rose solo yeah. stuff. <laughs> I call it that. And Dizzy Reed's still in the band, right? Yeah, Dizzy Reed's been there yeah, since Use Your Illusions. He's mean, been around for a long time. He's the oldest tenured member of Guns N' Roses, <laughs> and he's not an well, official member, Axel. technically. Yeah. Well, next to Axel. <laughs> All right, so my thing, Guns N' Roses. I saw Guns N' Roses on New Year's Eve 1991. At uh, at the time, it was called Joe Robbie Stadium, which is now Dolphin Stadium. Now, or not now, but it's was Dolphin Stadium. It was the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami. That band was Axl Rose, Slash, Duff McKagan, Gilby Clark, and what's the drummer? Matt Sorum. Matt Sorum on drums, Dizzy Reed on on keyboards, and the whole uh, you know the whole band with the with the horns and everything like that. That band already was missing two members of the original band. That didn't bother me at all. I don't think that bothers me, period, when it comes to something like that, where I'm listening to, you know, the original guitar player, original bassist, you know, and the the original singer, obviously. I'm going to disagree with you just a little bit. And Mm -hmm. and my only reasoning is that when Izzy left the band, that's when they lost the progression that they were going in. They they stopped recording music. Oh, yeah. And so... But yeah. is that Izzy's fault because he left, or is that because Axel was becoming more and more of a control freak? It's a little bit of both. I think I think Izzy left because Axel was becoming a little bit more of a control freak, and he didn't want anything to do with it. He's always been kind of a chill guy, <laughs> and it just wasn't the life that he wanted. Right. So there's there's a lot of factors there, and I don't think you can really pinpoint it just to one thing. It's it's a lot of things. But it, what you're saying is it doesn't bother you. Because I mean, those classic albums are there. They they pr- produce three pretty solid, right. you know, selections of songs, and they can continue. I mean, that's they still that's what they're playing is off of. Right. I mean, they're living. They're they've living their career off of for for the most part three albums, but really just one. But the talent was there, and had they had those original members, maybe not Steven Adler because you know he he was gone. Oh, at yeah. that point. Well, he, he he recorded Civil War. Yeah. And but, so, but it took a lot of stringing together multiple takes to, right. to put that together because he was so messed up. up. Yeah. Would they have continued creating great music had they stayed together? But that's another question. I mean, they really weren't in good state because Slash was on drugs, etc. Yeah, they were all on drugs. I mean, and then it, it shows by the real very eclectic version or eclectic collection of songs that they put on Spaghetti Incident. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's just, there. it's all over the place. There, yeah, it's so I mean, it, it was almost more cohesion. over the place so, than, than Metallica's uh, Garage Inc. You know, it's mm-hmm. really, you know, from punk songs to a 1950 songs from the Skyliners, which was their hit single off of the album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were all over the place and, and who knows what they would be doing. But now, Slash leaves, Duff leaves, Matt Sorum leaves, Kilby Clark leaves. Basically, they all they either got fired or quit or whatever. Fifteen years in the making, Axl Rose puts out Chinese Democracy as Guns N' Roses. He had about thirty-seven guitar players, fifteen <laughs> bass players, uh, two drummers. I mean, it was basically a roll call of, of professional musicians mm-hmm. in the studio. Yep, Buckethead, oh, what's uh, Richard Bumblefoot. Fortis, Bumblefoot. 
the bass player Tommy Stinson from uh, from the replacements. Oh, yeah, man. The, so the credit list is is eleven by seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> so that album is Guns N' Roses. You know, but when a you lot put of the album, you think you're listening to Guns N' Roses. Yeah, a lot of fans don't view it that way. No, I, I mean, a lot of people just say it's the Axel show. Do, when you put that album, do you feel that you're listening to Guns N' Roses? I feel like it's more of a Axel solo album. Right. Now, oddly enough, they play two songs, or about two or three songs, off of Chinese Democracy on their current tour, on the non, Not In This Lifetime tour. And actually, Slash makes Chinese democracy sound like a Guns N' Roses song because of the way he plays. Yeah, absolutely. I I am a I feel like there's a few really good songs on that album. And I guess it's hard for I a disagree. lot It's hard for a lot of people to feel that way because it is under the Guns N' Roses moniker, but it really shouldn't have been. It should have been Axl Rose solo project. And I think the view might be different of the those songs. I like Shackler's Revenge. I think it's a cool song. There's a couple others that I like. I can I definitely find the merit in. It's just too bad that it was released as a Guns N' Roses album. Yeah, I don't I, I don't have many nice words to say about that album. <laughs> I, I like Street of Dreams is a cool song. Yeah, I don't I, I listen to it. I've tried to listen to it. My friend Matt in Miami's tried to get me to listen to it. I've listened <laughs> and I, I've gone through I'm like, no, I can't do it. I don't know what it is, if it's the lack of a lot of hooks. Chinese democracy, the song itself, is not a bad song. But it's got the lamest chorus that is, it's like, I wish if that chorus was just a little bit better, if it had a hook, that song would be monstrous, but it doesn't have a hook. So, I mean, it has a nice riff in the, in the, in the verses, but not in the chorus. So it just kind of, to me, it leaves almost something like there's a little empty feeling there. Yeah. So now they get back together to perform the Not In This Lifetime tour that started four years ago in 2016. And like I said, now that they're playing Chinese Democracy, it sounds like a Guns N' Roses song. It sounds like Slash is playing guitar. It's one of those things where Slash makes such a huge difference in how that band sounds, just because of the way he plays his style. Oh, yeah. You know, and nothing to do with the sound of his guitar, but just the way he plays that guitar. And that's impressive. I, and I've seen, I've seen, I told you, 1991, Christmas Eve, that band. I saw... The Guns N' Roses with Axl Rose and Bumblefoot and Richard Fortas, and I've seen the Not in His Lifetime tour. I would prefer to have at least those three members with, with Duff, Slash, and Axl. For sure, at least that. That's my preference. I don't. I don't. And I agree with you to a degree. I, I don't think Izzy has to be there for the sound to be there for the songwriting aspect of it. They're not the same Guns N' Roses. They're never going to be the same Guns N' Roses. As they once were. So as as now as a nostalgia act, which they essentially are. Yeah, and I and I and I like that band. and I like going to see them, but I hate the fact that they're a nostalgia band. And mm. if if they don't think they are, then then that's kind yeah. Of weird. But they are a nostalgia band. It's kind uh, of d- disappointing because Duff is still writing new music with his uh, his loaded band, or has been up until recently. Slash is still writing new music with Miles Kennedy. Right, with the conspirators. But it's just kind of unfortunate that they can't get into a room and write new Guns N' Roses. Well, we don't know if they're not, if they're not, because Slash has hinted that they are. But they, they, it, they hinted that they were for, you know, how long when, <laughs> when they were originally but together? I, I mean, I would say at least there's a, there's a good chance of it happening. I mean, there was, there was three or four years where they were hinting that they were getting a new lead singer for Velvet Revolver. 
at That's one point. And that never happened. So. <laughs> well, they were trying. <laughs> but anyway, so Guns N' Roses, you know, my my wife and I went to see both the uh, the, the Axel show in Miami. We saw the, the Not In This Lifetime tour. And we actually saw a band called Appetite for Destruction, which is a Guns N' Roses cover band. And she says she enjoyed that more <laughs> than she did the Axel show. So my take on that is in this particular case, I would prefer at least the three original members that are currently there oh, sure. over right. not having the three the original members. The more the better. Right, the more the better. But I think specifically Slash makes a huge difference in that particular his guitar tone alone right exactly it just it's synonymous with guns and roses with guns and roses touring you know hopefully they'll come out with a new album but we'll see what what that is they're back on tour again this year this summer playing baseball stadiums well that concept seems to be popping up again and again and again with the motley crew poison uh def leppard tour (laughs) playing baseball stadiums anyway let's move on to the next band that we want to talk about and then that was your choice so what do we what do you got uh, I just board. kind of briefly want to mention two bands, okay. um, not metal bands, but but rock bands. And and my question is, so you have you have a band like Foreigner, mm. Foreigner, um, they're not the same as they used to. I mean, you have uh, Mick Jones this is the only one only one left from the original the band, the only one, that, and he guitarist. doesn't always play every show. What's that? And he doesn't always play every show. Yeah, so you never know what you're getting. It's kind of a gamble. You've got. Uh, Lou Graham, who left in 2003, so it's been almost 20 years since the the original. What you would hear on the radio right. would be playing in front of you. Mm-hmm. So, like, are you inclined to go see? I did. A, you did. <laughs> I did. I saw them last year, and and you enjoyed it. You know what? Okay, so the singer that they have now, I don't know his name. Uh, I can't remember what his name is. He's a uh, Steven Tyler lookalike, almost a Steven Tyler clone, excellent singer. Mm-hmm. He's Not that he sounds like Lou Graham, because I think he has his own tone and his own sound, but he's a great singer, so he overcomes that. But but is that going to see, to you, is that going to see Foreigner, or is it going to see a cool band? I In, in this particular case, I, I didn't even know who was in Foreigner to begin with, so I wouldn't know <laughs> if they were or weren't in the band at all. Okay. Of, you know, it's a valid that, I mean, I know Jeff Pilson's in the band now, but I know he's not the original bass player. But damn it, if he's not standing back there rocking the entire show, I mean, it's, he's like, he's the only headbanger in the band. They put on a great show. Mm-hmm. A, a virtually sold out Cynthia Woods Mitchell Pavilion proved that, yes, a band like that with only one original member can succeed was that was were they the headlining act? they were the headlining act they had um why white snake was one of the acts uh was this, that was there oh and J- and jason bonham's uh, led zeppelin experience jason you know so basically it was jason bonham cover band you know led zeppelin cover band with white snake who the only person there from the original thing is 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 david coverdale but he's a little bit different that's a little different right. story but still, you know, it's not the same bluesy band Dave, that it was in the, in the yeah, 70s. David Coverdale is White Snake. Right, I he mean, is White Snake. It, he can pick and choose who is in the band, and it's always going to be White Snake because it's David Coverdale. Right, and then there was the Foreigner cover band that played as Foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I tell you what, it was one of the most enjoyable evenings for music because you got to hear Led Zeppelin, and they did a great, fantastic job. You got to hear White Snake, and you got to hear Foreigner. I mean, it was three... I mean, they're all rock bands, one a little more metal, one a little bit more heavy. Yeah. And then, you know, Foreigner. I mean, Foreigner rocked the house. I I mean, I'm not a big Foreigner fan, but 
it was a great show. I would not have a problem if someone gave me free tickets. I would go back. <laughs> I guess just for me, when I when I know that it's not going to be what I'm used to, they haven't really put in any albums. They put out one album with the new guy, Foreigner. Yeah. Okay. And it's not it's not an album that has any hit songs on it. Mm-mm. So most people are not realizing what they're going to go see. Right. Then in I, a way, I... it's almost. False advertising. It's not, but it is. You know, right, you, I get it. The average Joe is going to go to the concert and go, what? <laughs> but then again, uh, what but, about like Leonard Skinner? Mm-hmm. Was that on your list at all? It wasn't, but okay. we can definitely but, talk but about it. But Leonard Skinner is the same, the same type of way. I think there was no, I think there was one original member left, and but, I think he was like the keyboard player. But the singer <laughs> yeah. is the younger well, brother. Of, right. Yeah. It was family. I get mm-hmm. that, but it was weird because it was really nobody left in the band. It's kind of an odd case. So sure. like, I think before the Allman Brother band broke up, they were a very similar type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't have a problem with it so much. Again, I didn't even know who the hell was in Foreigner to begin with. And gotcha. I don't think, I, I think... Unless you were a super diehard Foreigner fan, you have no idea who was in that band other than Mick Jones and Lou Graham. And you know Lou Graham's not there anymore. Yeah. So, And although he played some shows last year with them, came out to a couple, but he's, he, he's not able to tour. Yeah. So I also wanted to mention Thin Lizzy, who has no original members. No original members. That being said, Scott Gorham's kind of associated with the classic lineup of the band. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way he's you know carrying the torch but i almost view the current lineup as just a tribute to the original i, I think they that's what more what it's meant to be yeah. is a tribute to keep the music alive exactly and to have someone who at least was associated with the original music almost how pantera will never be around again right but they can continue on the music continues on as you know phil plays pantera songs live but see now in in that in that instance, I mean Pantera is a lot more than just Phil. Obviously, mm-hmm. it had a lot to do with Dimebag and and Vinny. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what what's funny? I mean, if Phil decided to get back together with Rex and say this is Pantera and have a killer guitar player, is is are people going to get upset? I think a lot of people would get upset. There'll be there'll be a faction of people that would get upset. But if they were doing it in a way to you know quote unquote honor Pantera. You know, I think for in how any long way that, it has to honor Pantera. Is there is is are are the people going to stay upset? You know, if they come out as a recording band, you know, and they put two three albums out, do people get upset? I mean, that's obviously a question that will, will probably never be answered. I but. think for sure, if they did and they put out albums and they didn't acknowledge, you know, what came before, of course, it's going to upset mm, people. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't talk about Dimebag Daryl and and you know, oh, I mean, Dimebag is 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 on everyone's you know the forefront of everyone's imagination when it comes to guitar players and, yeah, and sound and stuff. That's like that. half the band right there that's no longer alive. Right. So yeah, but I I think I think with everything that's happened and interviews that people have seen with Phil and it just everything that's that's evolved since they had their falling out, I don't I don't think people would be upset to see more shows. No, I mean everyone, from what I understand, you got to have a killer guitarist. Yeah, I think Phil and his band, the Illegals, are putting out a. Uh, they're playing Pantera songs, and I think mm-hmm. they're playing Pantera sets right now. People are loving it because it's Phil, mm-hmm. and you you hear the voice of Pantera. 
But it, they're still but they're, quite aware that when they oh, go, yeah. it's not Pantera. Right, yeah, you're it's, seeing that on the head on the marquee, it's Phil and, and the Illegals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they know what they're getting, but at least he's out there keeping the music alive mm-hmm. in that regards. But back to Thin Lizzy. Um, okay. that's they haven't put out any new albums with this lineup. Um, they're they're just kind of continuing to play. Have they or have they not? Well, they did back when they originally. Reform. Got back together, right, and that okay. was with uh, oh uh, John, John Sykes. Sykes. <laughs> was with yeah. John Sykes, right? John Sykes. Um, that incarnation of the band no longer exists, and that still had several of the 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 members from the time with mm-hmm. with Phil in it. But now there's just Scott Gorham, and I, I really feel like it's more of a, like a therapeutic thing. You, right. you go out there, play the music that they they played together, and I don't have any problem with that. And and if I'm not mistaken, the, some of the guys that are in Thin Lizzy are the ones that are in Black Star Riders. Uh, and Black Star Riders is a pretty good band. I, I I saw them open up for Priest, and that was a pretty cool show. Th- that that is definitely a, more purposely uh, aligned with a tribute style of of show. I mean, they they are Thin Lizzy, be, and the money goes to a Thin Lizzy type setup as opposed to just being you know yeah guys on the side doing a tribute. But it is definitely an homage. I was going to say oh, yeah. homage, an homage to to Thin Lizzy and, and to Phil Lynott. So from here, we're going to talk about Rainbow and Richie Blackmore and his ever revolving cast of characters that that played in Rainbow. Although that was something that was kind of by design uh, in his mind, I guess. Uh, Richie was always in quest to have the best band. You would think he had a great guitar player. No, I'm excuse me. You would think he had a great bass player, and he would change the bass player. Although Roger Glover became a, a, a mainstay, you know, he you thought he had a good drummer, but then he didn't like the way he drummed too much, or he was too double bassy, and then he changed that drummer. Keyboard player changes, and even vocalists. I mean, he had four different vocalists, or five technically. Now there's a fifth one. Yeah, and they're in the few times that they've gotten together. So the there was never. The same band that recorded twice, regardless of whether it's a keyboard player change, drummer change, bass player change, vocalist change. He was as inconsistent with his lineups as he is with playing solos live. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so in the case of Rainbow, was is that something that is bothersome? I kind of view it in the same way as uh, with Whitesnake. It's, it's Richie Blackmore's vehicle. He kind of did with it what he wanted. They had kind of a similar lineup in the first couple albums. Like you said, something changed. Yeah, I think they, they from, changed their keyboard player yeah, from, from one to the next. Yeah. So, and then the, the, I think the third album they changed, you know, Roger Glover took over for Jimmy Bain. So whenever that was kind of established, it just kind of been, became commonplace with that band. But I, I was it something back in the day? Now, obviously, I'm the one who lived through more of it than you did. So the question is, was it something that was expected or was it something that was known that was going to happen? Or was it something that you thought we had a band here, but now all of a sudden they changed it on us again? Me, one living through it. I mean, I didn't live through the Graham Bonnet to, to Jolyn Turner change, but well, they I didn't really become big in the U S until Jolyn Turner right. took over. The but band. I saw the videos. I mean, they had, you know, the, the video for all night long was pretty popular mm-hmm. uh, when I was growing up. And I liked that song a lot. And I you see, I see rainbow and it's like, well, well there's a different singer. And then you, I saw the video for can't happen here 
with Jolene Turner. I was on the, the Difficult to Cure album. Then the next album comes, if I'm not mistaken, it's a different keyboard player again. You know, so, we, we can talk about that. The keyboard player, I think we, we had a conversation outside of this where it's probably not the biggest difference right. in I mean, the sound. You, you can put the same, you, you can always have the same exact sound on the keyboard. Cause there, it, and there's not going to be a lot of inflection in terms of how the person plays it. There's very few bands where the keyboard is so important that it would be different sound you know it'd be recognizable this is different mm-hmm. if it wasn't the same keyboard i mean very few i can think of one off the top of my head who's that that would be children of bottom okay where the keyboard is basically the secondary guitarist well and that's so, like deep purple mm-hmm. you know but i mean deep purple had john lord the whole time yeah they changed now they now they have don airy I haven't heard them to sit there and say, oh, you know, there's a big difference. Yeah. But you're saying with, with children. But, but that's with recording new music mm-hmm. and, and more of that than, I mean, they can have somebody come and play the old parts and that's the, nobody would notice because they're, they're excellent musicians up there playing. But as far as the writing process for new music, going forward to a new album, a, a keyboardist change would be very noticeable. It, and, and is he a main or was he a main songwriter or is he a main songwriter? Oh, yeah. Okay. So that, that that does yeah. make a big difference there. Yeah, that's another one I'm going to mention later because there's only one original member left. But yeah, back to Rainbow. I think probably at the time, you know, through the years, it was counterproductive to what R- Richie Blackmore wanted, which was to break into America and have this solid band. But by changing something every time, probably a lot of people didn't take notice. Because you you you've got a, a lineup where somebody goes, oh, I love that guy. I'm you know I'll listen to anything with that guy in the band, and he's not on the next album. It's it's hard to go. Okay, you know. Well, I mean, and I, I also stay with these guys, right? Well, the same thing too is not a lot of people knew about Rainbow in the early days. So you know, switching from Jimmy Bain to uh, to Roger Glover wasn't a noticeable difference. Switching from Tony Carey to David Rosenthal wasn't a big. A big difference keyboard wise um and even but the singer changes right and but the singer changes from ronnie james dio to to, to graham bonnet to graham bonnet to to joelin turner All very and then different joelin turner to doogie white by the time doogie white era came around it was just like who the hell's rainbow <laughs> you know it was just richie blackmore and, and it was just a, a guitar player and, and that's just kind of weird about it because unlike foreign at least foreigner had only two singers and it was one where the band stopped and then they you know they reformed and had this new singer and he was going to be, and he's been permanent all that time, mm-hmm. you know, where with Richie with all different singers. And now he's got his fifth singer, uh, this guy named Ronnie. I think uh-huh. he's, he's a Spanish guy from, from Europe. Although he does the songs justice, it, it, it's just, it, to me, it doesn't sound the same. It doesn't seem the same. Oh yeah. Unlike with Rainbow, Richie Blackmore and Deep Purple. Okay. Ian Gillen uh, was their singer for a long time. And then second singer of the band, technically, right, technically second singer, um, but the the one you know with the Mark II lineup and the Mark III lineup, actually no, excuse me, the Mark II lineup where it, that's where they got most of their fame. They changed singers four times as well, you know, from the original singer that no one recognizes to Ian Gillen to then Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale, or yeah. more more David than Glenn, but and then the band broke up, got back together with Ian Gillen, Ian left again. And then, uh, and all this because of Richie, uh, they got Jolene Turner, which at that point it's, it was more rainbow than it was deep purple. I mean, literally Richie, 
Joe, and Roger Glover. There was three fits of rainbow in there, and you know, mm-hmm. so it, and it, and I think it ended up sounding that way. Now, Deep Purple is who they are. They've been together for as long as they've been, and they all the only constant has been Ian Pace because <laughs> John Lord passed away. Steve Morse has been in Deep Purple longer than Richie. Um, and, you know, Don Airy took over for John Lord when he passed away. Uh, and Ian Gillen's back. And Roger Glover has is, is been there this, the whole reunion time. You see Deep Purple now, but you you recognize Ian Gillen. You, it could be anybody else. You recognize Ian Gillen, but you know it's Deep Purple. You know, with Rainbow, you know it's Rainbow because you hear Richie's guitar playing, but it just sounds like a different it, band. It, it sounds like a different band through the albums because you, you have the more kind of Dungeons and Dragons-esque lyrics of Ronnie in the first few albums. And then it changes to much more commercial appeal with mm-hmm. with Graham Bonnet and, and Joe Lynn Turner, even more so with Joe Lynn Turner. And that's where like the comparison of, of them to Whitesnake to me falls apart because as as much as as um they tr- he was trying to create that commercial appeal to, much like white snake was after that album the self-titled white snake album the uh, and and slide it in those two mm-hmm. albums um they even though there was lineup changes there was a really consistent sound whereas there was never a really a consistent sound for rainbow right because he's just so eclectic and wanted to keep changing things well in, in mentioning white snake and in, in going along those same lines even if you want to think about it, even white snake is a different band and not because of its personnel but they were a blues rock band they were initially initially before, before yeah. slide it in before slide it in mm-hmm. even slide it in for the most part is a blues rock album less or, so with the american right exactly. release yeah. but you know they they had this you know bluesy sound to them hard rock but bluesy they relied a lot on keyboards playing off the with the guitar so it was very similar to deep purple and rainbow type of thing and scorpions even i mean when scorpions had uli john roth they were more of a bluesy band Mm -hmm. until the the 80s when they really branched more into a consistent sound right so much like how richie wanted to break in america david wanted to break america Mm -hmm. and with slided in that was his vehicle he's like you know what i'm gonna they re-recorded some of the parts. They remixed it. They had this hit album. And now he's like, I want to break this market. So he got rid of some of the guys because he was really wanting to break in. But he didn't want to break in with a bunch of ugly guys, ugly fat guys, you know, that played that played really <laughs> good. But, you know, the look wasn't there. Yeah. You know, so he, he besides, besides the sound, he wanted the look. And he got it with the 1987 band, yep. you know, with John Sykes. And, and and that wasn't even then. It was John Sykes and, and who was the other guitar player? Um, Adrian Vandenberg. And then after 1987, the the um, uh, what was that album? Slip of the Tongue is where the 1987 touring band was came together. Rudy Sarzo, Vivian Campbell, and yeah, and Steve I because Vivian didn't leave right away. Yeah. Um. So that that's where the sound has continued and maintained. That's been White Snake ever since, like you said earlier. So with Rainbow, to recap that, Rainbow is not a big thing as far as what you're hearing. You know you're going to see Richie, and you just don't know who you're going to get on it's the if, rest of it. If you get to see Rainbow. Right. Well, right. The, the the few shows that Rainbow played last year, they played. he brought out his band from the Renaissance stuff yep. that he was doing and had had uh, uh, Ronnie as his singer. 
I guess we're just fortunate to get to see, or you know, it, I say we, but anyone that gets to go see Rainbow, because for the longest time he wasn't even doing rock music. Right. He was doing the Renaissance style music with his wife. All right. So who's next up on the list? Uh, I wanted to mention Riot. Riot. Holy cow! You threw me for a loop on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Riot's kind of an odd one because, much like Rainbow, there's been constant personnel changes uh, since 1975. They've had six singers. Eight drummers. Uh, I think it's around six bassists. So who's the original member? Well, there's no original members. There's left. no original members. The only original member that was around uh, uh, died in 2012. That was uh, uh, Mark Reel. Um, so what what's interesting to me about them is that they, they're no longer even called Riot. They're called Riot 5. So like the fifth incarnation type basically. Of thing? Okay. Um and, and that was formed after after Mark Rail died, they they kind of stopped for a little bit. And then they continued on with with some of the members from that lineup to basically tr- be a tribute band to themselves. And <laughs> and but the, but they they were I think they were addressing it kind of in the right way. They're not the same band, they're not riot. Right, but they're they're addressing the fact that there's no original members left. I think that's kind of, that's why it's kind of an interesting case to me. I have to be honest. I I don't know anything about Riot, um, all, except for the song I heard last week when we were talking about instrumentals, mm-hmm. and it was really cool. I, I would have to say in, in in a situation like that, to me, you know, you have no original members. At the same time, what I feel makes it legitimate is that you have a member from the band who is willing to accept and move forward as that band because he was part of whatever core was originally there. Yeah. You know, there are times where, you know, um, there are bands that have singers or or drummers or guitar players or or whatever, musicians that the first album it just it, it just didn't work. You know, they was they were together for the first album because the the music was good, but the band didn't necessarily click. Yeah. And on the second album they changed this, that, and the other guy. And all of a sudden, it clicked. So that second album is the classic era, you know. And then you go on from there. And then somewhere along like the way, Anthrax, you know, the, right? The similar, singer change, you know, singer change, bass player change, you know. Mm-hmm. So you go through these these I guess waves of personnel. Perfect example, actually, is Iron Maiden. Okay, you go first album. You got Paul Diano singer, Dennis Stratton on guitar. You know, obviously you have Clive Burr on, on, on drums and you have Steve and Dave, you know, on bass and guitar respectively. The next album, you, you change... two fifths of the original right, lineup and, that's still around. Right. And next, next album, you change guitar player, even though that's the guitar player you wanted years ago, but he finally came around. Then the third album, you change the singer. Then the fourth album, you change the drummer. So you've changed your entire lineup except for two guys yeah. in three albums. You know, at, at that point, it was it was starting to get almost ridiculous like it was very reminiscent to rainbow it but was they like put what out the hell? six albums well shit yeah, they were good albums yeah <laughs> you know? well i say six albums i mean you lose adrian smith for that last album before oh you're talking about uh fear the dark fear the dark well he was he wasn't on adrian wasn't on the he, other he, one either no he he re- was in the writing process and he wrote um one of the songs on on no prayer for the dying yeah so from, his 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 presence was still felt in some way but yeah, you're you're right. He wasn't on the album. Yeah, I I I, I totally agree. But but you had a, a large core of that time as that it was the classic well, lineup, right? Well, Much like I, Fleetwood Mac with right. their classic. Lineup. What happens is Bruce, uh, you know, obviously Steve is for Iron Maiden is the is the 
core. He is the heart and soul he's, of Iron Maiden. He's the life. But one, yeah. Bruce adopted Iron Maiden. Bruce, it, that became his band. He was the the, the man out front. Mm-hmm. Even though Dave has been there on the first since day one on the first album, he I mean technically you can consider him uh, an original member or not uh, because he wasn't part of the original birth of Iron Maiden. But he's been there longer than any other person. He's been there since you know, the first album, right? So. Uh, but Dave's relatively quiet in that sense. But each each time they get this next guy, so Adrian comes in and Adrian stays on until No Prayer for the Dying comes back and he's been there longer now than he was the first time. Uh, Yannick has been there longer than than Adrian has been overall. The, this, this, the third longest tenure player is, 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 Nico. is Nico. Yeah. So all those guys, Nico adopted Iron Maiden. He is the face of Iron Maiden in many cases because he's the one always doing the interviews. Yeah. You know, he'll do an interview before Bruce will do an interview. He'll do an interview before Steve will do an interview. And definitely before Dave and Adrian. He's he's the main face. Obviously, Steve is Iron Maiden. But we as fans have adopted each of those guys to sit there and say, yes, this is what I want with this band. So if, if a band, like, like say, for instance, Riot, continues on as Riot 5, but that's the band that the people want to see, even though the, the heart died you know then it then to me that's okay yeah no i i have no problem i would i would honestly have no problem if they continued as the original version but it's just it it is what it is i i kind of like that it was more of a tribute aspect of that now that being said you brought up a a a point where uh the first couple albums didn't necessarily work so something changed well quiet right would be a good example of that Mm -hmm. where um it's almost two different versions of the band you have the first two albums that uh, didn't appear in America, that didn't appear in America. America. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that would be the Randy Rhodes incarnation, the first two albums with Kevin DeBrow on vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they broke up. A year or so later, they reformed a new version of Quiet Right, the, the socially accepted version what people would view as the first album would be you know the quiet right, right. Album uh, in the, yeah the, the one that came out in 82 mm-hmm. come uh, the, with come on feel the noise 82 or 83 83 83 i believe yeah. um so you had that version and that would be what most people would even know as quiet right so right they now have no original members if you if, go if you're back not counting frankie. to the very right. first but you have frankie Manali who's been on every album since that first reestablishment of the band. So it's kind of, is it the original lineup? No, but most people didn't know the original lineup. Right, you and I had this conversation. I I almost negate the first two Quiet Riot albums as being original band, because again, it to me, it was it's similar to that other thing I mentioned where it's the formative years. Mm-hmm. You have all these guys coming in and out of the band. I mean, Iron Maiden went through 20 different guitar players and three different singers before they settled on Paul. But they never recorded anything. No, right. They never recorded. Before. That's the difference. The, well, they, true. With, you know, so it, to me, it almost seems like, you know, why you have a recording contract in Japan. I mean, really, it's almost pointless. You know, you have no one, no one that you know in your neighborhood is going to hear that album because they're never going to be able to get it to unless you US, give them a free but copy. they were popular in Japan. Right. Like I was hearing today, or I was informed today about uh, Crocus. And there's a very, uh, Mark Storacci or Storace, uh, I apologize if I pronounce your name wrong. He was not a, not even a replacement singer. He was added because the rest of the band uh, was 
you know, they're, they're multi-instrumentalists. They played every other instrument. The drummer was a singer for some songs. The keyboard player was a singer for some other songs. The guitar player was a singer for other songs. They finally got one singer, and that was Mark. Mm, um, so okay. they That's stabilized their lineup. The first album that they released, they only had four guys in the band, and two of them left right, af- right after the album was released, but that album only had 500 copies pressed, so no one even considers it their first album. Mm. Um, so Almost more like a demo. Almost like, yeah, I would I would say the same thing, you know. Probably other people's demos have sold more than that thing has. Yeah. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> because they were pressed more than once. Probably, yeah. So, you know, that's that's a kind of a weird situation with that one. Um, so let's let's move on and let's talk about another a big name that has gone through a ton of lineup changes only to come back to the original. And that was Black Sabbath or is Black or was. Yeah, there was. was they're, they're over. Um, Black Sabbath have gone through, you know, what, 37, 38 singers? Uh, uh, like a four, and that was like a four-year span? Well, my grandma was a singer for Oh, I heard Black that Sabbath album. <laughs> <laughs> my grandma was Tony Martin. Um, <laughs> well, she's very manly. Um, <laughs> so Black Sabbath, um, everybody knows about the, the big major changes with uh, Ozzy leaving the band, Dio being the replacement for two mm-hmm. albums. Uh, Ian Gillen's run, but yeah, I mean, they had a lot more incarnations than that that than were even recorded. So you you go to see them live, and really for a while there, from 1979 to you know basically when they reformed in the 90s with with Ozzy, uh, you had kind of I say I said 90s, I meant 2000s. Uh, but they did reunite with him in did, the 90s. They did. You. Towards the, the end of the nineties, yeah, towards the end because yeah. that's when I saw them okay. at Ozfest. And he, okay, he so was, it was like okay, I'm, yeah, I'm misremembering. Ozfest '99, it was Black Sabbath headlining. That's true. Okay, so late nineties they reformed mm-hmm. with Ozzy. You know, almost twenty years later, I think it was. I think it was like seventeen years later was when they they finally got back to the original mm-hmm. lineup. In between that time, you got Seventh Star, which had no. Original members. I mean, you had which, well, Seven, well had a had Tony. Yeah, well, that you're right. Right, I, and I'm, it, Tony was the one consistent throughout yes. the entire run. So when I say no original members, I mean other than Tony. Right, Tony was Black Sabbath for a long time. I can't imagine having gone to a show during that time and just not knowing who I was going to see. Oh, I, I mean. Obviously, if you go to Black Sabbath, you're expecting there's there's an expectation in the '90s or let me put it this way in the '80s, you had no idea mm-hmm. because you you know '80 80 and '81 was was Dio, and then '82 was Gillen. And it's amazing when you say '80 and '81 because it's it, it he had such a huge impact on that band. A lot of people will go. You know, Ozzy or Dio, which who's the better Black Sabbath singer, right? But he was only in the band for uh, such a brief well, amount of time, and he came back in '92 for for one album for, for one Dehumanizer album for Dehumanizer, and again, I guess the same problems pop pro- cropped up again, and he left. So, yeah. but in between Dehumanizer and and Mob Rules, they had I think three officially three different singers. Uh, you had Ian Gillen. You had Tony Martin and didn't Glenn Hughes and do Glenn one? Hughes did right. the one album, right? And then and at one point they were supposed to have Ray Gillen sing for them. He's on a demo. He's and, on a demo for, for Eternal Idol. To, he was supposed to be in the band. So that's mm. there was four different singers. Oh, there's more than that. There's be, Dave Donato. Oh, there's yeah. there's there's a number of of lineup changes that didn't even occur on an album. 
Right. And at the same time, you know, between uh, Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules, the ward left and Vinnie Apice came in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bill uh, Vinnie Apice left with Dio and then Bill Ward came back and did Born Again with Ian Gillen mm-hmm. as a singer. So you got three-fourths of, of the original Sabbath with a new singer. Then everybody left, I think. Um, I don't. Yeah, so Seventh Star would be the next <coughs> one. Yeah, so I don't even know who's on Seventh Star. I don't know if Geezer's Glenn, on there. Glenn Hughes was the singer. So, so Glenn, I'm, I'm assuming he played bass probably too? Um, I don't think so. You know, but, but who, yeah, you, I mean, And again, who was the drummer? Cozy Powell, I think? Yes, Cozy Powell. You know, so they had a revolving, you know, door of, of musicians that came and played bass and drums and sang, you know, so... That was difficult until they came back. Then Ozzy decides to announce his No More Tours tour. Eric Singer was oh, the, that's right. the drummer Eric on Singer. Seventh Star, not Cozy Powell. Ah, okay. Which you should know as as your as a big Kiss fan. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's where where um, Eric Singer and Ray Gillen's connection came together, and they they were, they were in Badlands together in '89. You you see that. At the end of the 90s, when they decide to reunite and, they, and Ozzy's doing the Ozfests, and, and, or not even that before that, Ozzy decides, I'm going to do no more tours. He does his no more tours tour in the middle 90s. He actually calls up Black Sabbath. He calls up you know the, 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 the three remaining members and says, hey, can you guys or would you guys mind opening for me in my last show? And so it, essentially you would have gotten Black Sabbath with supposed to be it, it, the request was with Ronnie James Dio and I think that may have been what happened with the dehumanizer I think, think that's why he left what ended up happening was Rob Halford right so Rob Halford ends up coming in mm-hmm. to, to to do it because Ronnie says there's no way in hell that he's going to do Black Sabbath open for Ozzy so he was gone again that's like a sixth or seventh singer for for Black Sabbath Rob Halford <laughs> I mean I would love to get a hold of the tapes and I know they're out there I would love to get a hold of a bootleg version with Rob singing those Black Sabbath songs because he does such a good job so Black Sabbath goes through all these changes they finally get Geezer back they, you know Tony they get Ozzy back they even get Bill Ward back for a bit during the reunion and, shows and Geezer was in and out of the band during that that long stretch. So he was in and out of Ozzy's band too. Yeah. He, he played with Ozzy on that Just Say Ozzy EP, mm-hmm. that live EP. So he was in Ozzy's band. So you're talking about half of Black Sabbath there. Yeah. And they even played Black Sabbath songs. They come full circle. They reunite with Ozzy. They reunite with Bill. They do that. Then they kind of go away a little bit for a while in, in the late 2000s. They, they don't really do much. So now they decide they're going to do their final album which I, or make a new album, which was 13. Bill ends up not being on the album. They tour with it with Tommy Clofitos as uh, the drummer, and um, which he didn't record on the album. No, uh, it was uh, the dude from Rage Against the Machine, yeah. Brad Wilk. Brad Wilk. So Brad Wilk records the album. Tommy tours. In the meantime, somewhere along the way, in there. Oh no, I'm sorry. In the in the late 2000s, uh, let me correct all that. In the late 2000s, Black Sabbath ended their time with Ozzy. And they did it. They right? had a run with Ronnie. And then they got back with Ronnie as Heaven and Hell. And that was with Vinnie Apice. Well, no, they they, they did well, they, a, a, a they did shows as Black Sabbath. As Black Sabbath. Then when they decided to do another one with Ozzy, they decided, let's make this Black Sabbath, and then we're going to call this Heaven and Hell. Right. So, you know, so Tony was playing both sides on that one. You know, but, I mean, it's just, they were basically reliving both 
both eras, which is yeah. really cool. And they, the, both Ronnie and Ozzy were accepting of that, that they were going to do two different projects at different times. They scheduled them that way. Right. That goes along with which one was better. Who do people like better, the Ozzy years or the Dio years? And there are distinctly two different camps when it comes to that. I like both, but I'm I'm, I'm going to lean towards the Ozzy years just because that is what became and is Black Sabbath. I, I'm going to agree with you as that is Black Sabbath, mm-hmm. but I like Heaven and Hell just as much. Oh, yeah. I mean, Heaven and Hell is an amazing album. Yeah, those, those first six albums for for black sabbath are just touchstones i mean you can't you can't deny the amazingness of those albums but those two albums with with dio the first two were phenomenal and the the i like to dehumanizer a lot i can understand why it's not as popular because it's kind of um it's not as uh as eclectic it's very mechanical sounding almost on purpose it's very 90 sounding yeah but heaven hell the album uh the devil you know was fantastic yes it was good very good album Mm -hmm. now that we brought that up with with the two singers two different factions okay we're gonna um wrap this up with a couple of different bands real quick but we have to talk about van halen there's only two people left in the original van halen that's van halen van halen (laughs) (laughs) all right um that's one. That's a band that had a distinct two different careers. I mean, there's there's no denying. I mean, where Black Sabbath kind of had a couple of years and then they kind of went away and they had that that rough patch in the in the late '80s and early '90s. Van Halen had two two different careers. There was Van Halen with San, with Dave from '78 or you know they're they're when they formed up until 1984, and then '85 until 90 something with Sammy. Then they tried to get Dave back. Then they tried to get Sammy back. And then they, you know, went back and forth. It was, it was like a really bad divorce and marriage <laughs> over and over and over again. Um, and then they just in said, their oh. music career and out of the music. Yeah, career. And then, and then they get, <laughs> oh, oh, we'll get this guy, Gary, Gary Sharon from extreme for one album. And that was a disaster. And they get yeah. Sammy back temporarily. And I really feel, and we can definitely touch on this later, but I, I, I don't really have any problem with Gary Sharon as a singer. I just think they did things the wrong way with him. Yeah. Now, whereas going on tour immediately with Sammy, Sammy had his own material. It was solo material. Van Halen had their a breadth of their own material, but but Gary couldn't come in and do extreme songs. He needed to come in and do Van Halen. Right. And you know, yeah. and they thought, oh, let's go and record an album. So that way we've got material for Gary. And then and then let's go on tour. I I really wish they had gone on tour with him first and then, you know, got to know each other better. He he wasn't the instant fit that Sammy was, but it doesn't mean he couldn't have been better for that band for the time. At least and play a few shows. Play, yeah, play some shows together, get feel each other out, figure out if they needed to record an album with this guy. Because it may have never worked, and it clearly didn't. So, but a lot of a lot of that too had to be the fact that Eddie was just out of his mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, just yeah, the songwriting wasn't there on Van Halen. When I say out of his mind, he was literally on some crazy drugs. You know, I, I don't want to speculate what they were, but they were, they, you know, they weren't. They were drugs, you know, drugs and alcohol, and that, that's what ruined him. And 
you know, and even though they he later got himself and his act back together, but it wasn't until way after because when they reunited with Sammy, there was still a problem, and that's the reason why they they definitively broke up after that tour. Yeah, you know, they kicked Michael out of the band. I mean, I, I feel bad for, for anybody in that band. I feel bad for Michael. I mean, they, they, it was like they almost emasculated the guy. I mean, they took away his, his songwriting rights. They, they, they took away his performance rights. They took everything away from Mike. So he doesn't even make any money off Van Halen anymore. Yeah, he didn't even yeah. uh, record on the last and, couple right, albums. Right, he didn't, he, he didn't play. I think he played the bass on one song on the Best of Both Worlds because Eddie played the bass on the other one. And then... Well, there they, were three. There were three songs on that album. Oh, oh, that's right. And it, yeah. There was a. But Eddie recorded on two of them. It's speculated that that he uh, that Anthony Michael Anthony played on one uh, one song, and then on Van Halen three, the rumor is that he didn't record any of the music. I think he played on one song. Maybe it was one because he did the background vocals for it as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and that was it. And then then you know he's out of the band, and you know Wolfie's in there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I get it. I get Wolfie. You know, I get the whole thing about Wolfie, but you don't have to disrespect the man's legacy, no. Michael's legacy, the way the way it was done. And he was so important to the sound of that. Oh band. yeah, his backing vocals are synonymous with I mean, the, the sound of Van Halen. I, and I think more than anything, it was, he, him, and Sammy, the the way that they sing together is very unique because you hear that sound now on Chicken Foot and on the Circle. Mm-hmm. The the two of them, the way they sing with each other, it, it, it's a perfect, perfect match. Mm-hmm. So along that same vein, to some degree with, I guess, more like the Black Sabbath vein, Megadeth had a million members come in and out, but the mainstay was Dave, or is Dave. Well, even David Ellison, is, I would say, is a mainstay. There was only a brief period for a few yeah. years there where he wasn't in the band. To me, the biggest part of their sound... I mean, because Dave's the main songwriter, he's the singer, and then David Ellison's there, and he's only gotten better over time. The two of them, that's what really makes their most solid albums. Right, and so for me, Megadeth is obviously has always been about Dave, Dave and Dave, Dave and mm-hmm. Jr. During that, that really hazy period when Dave got hurt and then Jr. left and and then Jane, you know he reforms Megadeth but doesn't ask Jr. back, yeah. and then he gets James Lomenzo. They had, you know, several different drummers, several different guitar players. Um, the one thing that I I like about Megadeth is that they've always had the highest echelon of players in the band. You yeah, know? he doesn't accept anything but the best. But the thing I dislike about that is that, according to Dave, every player that comes in is the best player better than the guy before him. And we all know that's Dave's being Dave, and I hate that saying. To me, I find it disrespectful. It's like, you know what? Marty Friedman is one hell of a guitar player. Mm-hmm. Are we saying that Chris Broderick's better than him? No one knows because Chris has his own thing. You know, Marty has his own thing. And now, you know, uh, Kiko, he has his own. He's They're all different styles of players. And I just, I personally don't like when you sit there, when someone sits there and says, well, this guy's better than the last guy. Well, first of all, the last guy's still alive. Let's not, you know, disparage the dude knowing that he's an incredibly talented guitar. Chris Broderick is incredibly talented. You know, Marty Freeman's incredibly talented. Chris Poland is incredibly talented, although he doesn't play metal anymore, but he's cr- incredibly talented. All those guys. You know, and then for and, and drumming drumming wise, Gar Samuelson was an incredible drummer. To play metal the way he played metal in a jazz style mm-hmm. was was awesome. 
Then they get was it Chuck Beeler for the for the third album? Yeah, something like that. That was almost like pointless. You know, he 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 was in and out so fast you didn't even know who he was. And then came you know Nick Menza. Nick is a great <laughs> is a great guitar, uh, drummer. Excuse me, Nick's a great drummer. Now after Nick, you get an an assortment of players. Uh, which drover is it? It's not Glenn, is it? Sean Drover. Sean Drover. And then after Sean Drover, uh, there was, was was it Chris Adler? Chris Adler. Okay. And, and uh, another drummer, uh, Chris, um, not Chris, Jimmy DeGrasso was also in the band. So so he's been through a tremendous amount of drummers, finally settling on Dirk. And I have no idea what his last name is. Dirk Verbieren. Yeah. Do you know him? He's from Soil Work. <laughs> so, you know, so Dirk is now, he's currently, you know, they're in the midst of writing their new album. And so he's finally going to make his, his, uh, his recording appearance with Megadeth. So they've been through a million things. But yes, like you said, Dave and Junior being the mainstays, really the sound has progressed technologically wise. You know, you know it's Megadeth and you know that this is that band you know, because of Dave. I, I, what you're saying about the way that Dave speaks, I don't really, again, to go back to Whitesnake, I don't really see it much different than the way that he handles it. I mean... I've heard I've heard in multiple interviews him talk about members of the band the same way they're, that he'll say that you know they're great musicians but they just didn't fit what I wanted to to be in so they they weren't in the band. So, but I think I don't know if if it's the English accent that Dave speaks with, but he says it so much nicer. <laughs> yeah, uh, and David I'm talking about David Coverdale yeah. because I don't I don't ever see it as a disparagement from David where Mustaine is is. Uh, it's a disparagement, and he doesn't personally. He doesn't, he doesn't mean, mean it, it personally, but it hits it, so blunt that it just he sounds like an asshole when he says it. <laughs> you know, where David, you know, listening to Coverdale speak, he he can insult you and you still walk away happy. You know, that's just a weird thing of, of the way he speaks. Well, I love you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love. I met Mustaine, you know, and again at that time he was recovering. He it was one of the first early times of his recovery and he was very bitter about his recovery because you know his friends were all out enjoying themselves and he had to stay home playing nintendo in his hotel room you sounds know? like a delight to me but <laughs> well, yeah but you know he wanted to go out and get you know trashed and, and he couldn't or he wouldn't because of his recovery um but of course he fell off the wagon several more times after that there's no denying mustaine's an incredible guitar player there's no denying that megadeth is an incredible band no matter who's in the band. And he, he, yes, he's always striving for perfection. That being said, is there a problem with going to see Megadeth? No, because when you go see Megadeth, no, you know you're going to see Dave. Your expectation Dave. is if, to see Dave. If Mustaine leaves and it's only Junior, it's not Megadeth. <laughs> yeah, you know? that's a question. Right. So that that's where things are different. You know, um, It's not the same. Yeah. But at the same time, and, and not to mention any bands, because I, I don't know them off the top of my head, there are times where there have been singers in bands that sick, hurt, injured, whatever it is, that can't perform where other people will step in in their place in a live setting, you know, especially like a festival type setting. Like we mentioned before with uh, with Rob Halford covering. Right, covering for... for, for but that happened twice. I mean, it wasn't just with the uh, Dio situation. It was it was later on to cover for Ozzy. So, yeah, those things happen, you know, like... And, and a lot of times other musicians cover for other musicians. When, when Lars played, missed the only Metallica show he's ever missed. And they had three different drummers come play. They had, mm-hmm. they had uh, Lombardo and they had Joey Jordanson. I forgot who the third drummer was. 
when they played out in the Download Festival. Just to hear that was pretty amazing because you can hear the difference. Yeah, that, those, those are one-off right, those things, are one-off. though. I mean, it's not it's not quite the same. Right. No, but you, you're never going to get a show of Mist- without Mustaine. Like when he was uh, going through his cancer treatments, he did not go on the boat mm-hmm. uh, for the for the mega cruise. They did not play his Megadeth, although I believe the guys did show up on the boat and played with the other musicians, mm-hmm. but they didn't play as Megadeth. Yeah. So, in summary. We've discussed back and forth the, the positives and negatives and the dislikes and likes of, of bands with or without certain members. And I think ultimately we don't have any, we're, we're just, ha- we're happy to see the show, I think in the end. Yeah. Well, I think, I think what it boils down to is there's a lot of bands out there that are playing. There's a lot of new music, a lot of old music, more than there's ever been. And it's up to you to decide is this band worth my time and my money? Is it worth it to you to see a band with one member that's still around? No members that are still around? It, it, that's what it boils down to. I'll pay my money to go see Foreigner with one original member or no original members rather than going to see Rat with Bobby Blotzer on drums <laughs> or, or, or L.A. Guns with Stephen Riley on drums. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to pay money. I'll do the free shows at the with the Black Horse Limo. So maybe. So yeah, be. <laughs> I sure. won't even go to a free show for Stephen Riley. <laughs> <laughs> so p- please, uh, you know, on our social media, which we'll mention later, uh, be sure to mention like some of these bands if you if you agree if you want to go see them with with their current incarnations or if you went to see them during the time when it was you know Black Sabbath in the eighties you know something like that. I, I, we're definitely curious to know. Yes, we're curious to know. We're curious to know whether or not you're going to go see Kiss. <laughs> and we're also curious to know if uh, you agree with our big four today. All right. Our big four today is the big four worst album covers in metal. So I know you guys can't see the covers, but you know you can look them up for yourself when you go on, on the internet. And we'll be posting them and, to our social and, media. So we're going to post mine, my my big four. We're going to post Chris's big four. Um, and then you guys out there can post what you think is the four worst album covers in metal. Uh, and we'll um, we'll even get to, you know, obviously if, if you're following on social media, you'll everyone will get to see what you pick or what you, you state. And if you have something good to say, then we'll probably read it on the air. Chris, what's your big four worst album covers? Uh, my first is going to be Except Balls to the Wall. Oh, really? Harry dude zoomed in on his uh, junk uh, with a ball in his hand. Not what I wanted to buy when I was a kid getting into metal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> it just, you know, kind of projected the wrong image to me. I, I honestly kind of... Uh, you know, overlooked except for a while when I was a little kid because I just didn't want to. I didn't want to buy the album with the hairy leg on it. You, you don't really see any junk on there, but you do see the hairy <laughs> leg. I mean, I, I get that it's a hairy leg and he's got a ball. It's really, and then you, you see the leather, so you know there's something kind of S and ish going on there. Yeah. Um, but if you're a kid, you shouldn't know anything about S and M. I watched Law and Order instead of cartoons as a kid. You're, so you're messed up. Man. <laughs> well, yeah, that was that's a that's a weird cover. I I wouldn't necessarily have thought of that one. There is if if anybody was checking out our social media prior to to this show airing, you'll know that I picked a different 
just as an example, <laughs> I picked a different Accept album as the, one of the worst ones, and that was for I'm a Rebel, which I have no idea what the hell's going on with that cover. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I think they, they literally cut people out and pasted them to, into a phone booth and put the phone booth in the middle of a picture of people driving around the city. It, that was just weird. It's just like terrible Photoshop. Terrible Photoshop. All right, I mean, it so. was before Photoshop, but <laughs> but you get the point. Yeah. All right, so you picked accepts balls to the wall. All right, what else you got? I'm going to go typo negative, the origin of feces. Wow, typo negative, origin of feces. I got to um, pick this up because I have no idea what this one is. All, all I got to say is Peter Steele's anus. All right, it's, do I have to look this up? The origin <laughs> of feces. <laughs> It's, Hello there. It's just Holy a zoom crap. in of Peter Steele's anus. I think he. I think he was a subject on the um, what's the the uh, Pantera cover. <laughs> <laughs> uh, far beyond driven. Far beyond driven. I think that's the same picture, uh, yeah. just with a with a big old machine going up. That is, I've never seen that before. Uh, I worked in a record store. I was. I never seen that to never see it for the longest time. See, I saw the reissue. That's what it is. <laughs> I saw. I saw I, thank God, I saw the reissue. I never knew that. Um, God, I'm glad I didn't. Now I can't unsee it. Shit. Uh, All right. Number three. <laughs> <laughs> number three. Um, you know, it's not necessarily an, a metal album, but I gotta, I gotta mention this one, even if we gotta discount it. But um, any fans of Black Flag out there, uh, when they when they reformed and did what the, you talk about a terrible South Park fan art uh, that was colored in MS Paint. <laughs> that that's what it is. It it looks like somebody's kid on the weekend drew it and was like, "Let's scan it in and put it in in paint." <laughs> <laughs> now that I get to see it, uh, it's yeah, it's pretty bad. That's uh, it's a cartoon. It's a bad cartoon. It's horrible. <laughs> Although I, I've been negatively affected by typo negative for the rest of my life. <laughs> Um, no, so yeah, so that is, and you know what? And I've and I've actually looked at Cannibal Corpse albums, and I think those are more acceptable than that type. Well, of the album. art's not bad on the, <laughs> the Cannibal Corpse albums; they're a little disgusting. Yeah, a tad. So this this uh, black flag, this black flag album, yeah, that's kind of goofy. I mean, for a band as as hardcore and punk exactly. as they are, you, it's like very kiddish. Well, yeah, that's that was what kind of always stood out to me about that album, aside from the fact that it's not the lineup that. I always listen to it was that all of their albums, while not the best art ever had had a very pop art feel that was really cool. This, this one just was bad, bad in general. Yeah. Nothing redeeming about this cover. It doesn't look like it whatsoever. <laughs> so what's your, what's your last one? My number four or number one, I, I guess, um, is dance of death from iron maiden. Oh, wow. You went there. Yeah. It's as a 3D artist myself, uh, looking at that is just, uh, I don't know any way to put it other than dreadful. You know what's funny about that that album, that that cover? If they would have not put the, I guess, the women jesters on there, it's an actually really cool cover. Think uh, about it. Go, go past it. Take those people out. The, 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 the guy, the little reaper holding his hand out with the other reapers in the, in the background. Okay, conceptually conceptually <laughs> conceptually it is kind of cool uh, it was it, but in practice it's horrible 
the the 3D is is just bad. It's awkward. It's unfinished. You can actually see. It looks like the guy was basically painting over the 3D models, and you can see the masks look finished. The guy in the center, Eddie, as a as a reaper, looks finished. The woman next to him looks finished. But the rest of them look unfinished. They look like really bad 3D models that have no texture. Uh, there's a baby standing on a wolf, which is impossible. Not just because it's a baby standing on a wolf, but because <laughs> look at his foot placement. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the album is, is, the cover is terrible. But like I said, the Eddie is a Reaper. The original design, none of those characters with masks were on there. But that's what was put out. No, no that was what was put out. Had they done the original with just a little star thing on the floor and the five guys... Oh, it could have been cool. It would have been amazing. <laughs> but, you, but this thing... You this, throw it, in the 3D art and it's... This, this is... Horrible. It, it was funny is Iron Maiden had already passed that whole computer period where, where they were putting out stupid computer images mm-hmm. and then they decided to put this thing out. Yeah, that was pretty pathetic. I, I never... Uh, until recently, when I started listening to the podcast and listening to Talking Maiden, shout out to you guys. I never really paid attention to this album cover. I never really paid attention to the album. I know that they had a couple of good songs off it, but this. Um, shout out to Talking Maiden for getting me into this album because I hadn't listened to much of it other than the it's first a, couple of songs. It's a pretty damn good album. It is. That I never paid attention to the album cover until they were criticizing it, and I'm like, wow, that's really bad. But then looking at the original, when you look it up, if you go, if you guys go out there and look up at the original concept of the album cover, it was supposed to be really good, and then somehow Steve Harris decided to add more to it, and it's <laughs> it's always Steve's fault because he's the one who's never satisfied. I I mean, I'm obsessed with box art. I know it's kind of a weird thing, but I I love a good box set. When they throw in the extras, that kind of stuff. I just love that concept. I love boxes. <laughs> Looking at that album was such a turnoff for the longest time because it's just such a bad image. <laughs> it, it's got it's got these finished aspects that are just totally destroyed by the bad 3D. Oh yeah, no, that's it's pretty bad. Well, what you got? Okay, so my four. My big four worst album covers. I'm gonna go number four with Anthrax Fistful of Metal. Uh, it was that was in my list that I was trying to choose from. I mean, cartoonish, and then they got a hand. They have a hand pointing, basically coming out of the guy's face in the wrong direction. It doesn't make any sense at all. No, the, the direction, like the hand that's holding the head behind, and then you have a fist coming from hammer space <laughs> through the yeah, guy's face. It, 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 yeah, it doesn't make a bit of sense whatsoever. I mean, the drawing is is very amateurish. Not, not horrible, but very amateurish. And then this fist coming out of nowhere with this tongue going one way and yeah, it just—it's terrible. It looks like uh, uh, something that, being a high school artist, I probably could have pulled off, and then yeah, yeah. It, it's almost like a demo cover. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, I mean, Scott Ian actually said that he hates the album cover, but it's really all they could afford at the time. I'm sure they hate it just as much as Megadeth hates, you know, the original "Killing Is My Business" cover. That and that's not even on my list, but that's a pretty bad one too. All right, number three, we're gonna go to Iron, we're gonna go back to Iron Maiden, and we're picking up the X Factor. That, that that's just I'm sorry. I grew up with Iron Maiden, Killers, Number the Beast, Peace of Mind, all those 
classic iconic album covers and then I'm giving I'm giving this when you have your singer quit and you you're trying to inspire bands the people to come listen to your band with a new singer and you come up with this ugly rubberized Eddie that is just <laughs> It's horrible. It's terrible. It's very frightening, actually. I mean, it, it, it could give but someone nightmares. It's, it's frightening in a bad way, though. Yes, it's disgusting. <laughs> it, uh, what, what's funny about it is you, you have um, uh, Fear of the Dark, which is the first album. It has a cover not by Derek Riggs. And it's very cool album <sighs> cover. It really is. Um, and then you follow it up, <sighs> X Factor, with this uh, rubbery plastic... Eddie, it just it's just bad. Now there there is a version of the cover that's more zoomed out, which looks a little better. It, yeah, but but still, it's, it's still that makes <laughs> it worse because you what the hell is that in the middle? It, it's yeah. it's no, it's terrible, 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 <laughs> absolutely terrible. Just like that impersonation, it, it's it's just not worthy to me of anything Iron Maiden has done. I mean, and then right up there with Dance of Death being you know just. A mosh, <laughs> a mosh of, of stuff put together for no reason. All right, so that's number three. Number two for me, it's a toss-up between number one and number two. It's almost like a tie, okay? Pantera's Metal Magic. What the hell is that <laughs> thing on the cover? Um, is that supposed to be some sort of beast? Yeah, it's a it's a panther. Yeah, I, I get it, but it doesn't it look like a panther. <laughs> You could really go with any of the al- the first albums from uh, Pantera before Cowboys, excluding well, Power Metal. Power but- Metal had that goofy one with, you know, I'm in my hair metal stage, you know, picture yeah. in the front. But that that one is pretty dang bad. You have a, like a warrior panther man. I mean, it's a human panther is basically what it is, and it's really bad. I mean, he's got, you know, I mean, he's physically very fit. Okay, but <laughs> but you're talking about Pantera, basically a graffiti art, and and then you got this this humanized panther, with this weird looking knife sword hatchet. It's down. Fantasy art. It's yeah, it's fantasy art, but it would look great on the back of a van. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think it would look. Oh man, it was horrible. That's terrible. So. And then the other one that they, the other band, the other album that they had that was really bad too was. Um, it was the previous album. The previous album that was that was terrible. But we're going to stick with Power Metal. Oh, Projects in the Jungle. That's a terrible album cover. It's too. hard to figure out what's going on on that. That there's like two giant paws, <laughs> just coming out of nowhere, and the the. Well, that's supposed to be a stage. I get that. I understand that. Yeah. This is weird. It's just badly executed. Yeah. Well, you know what? And it also looks like there's only about 27 people in the audience. We can also go back to the fact that there was no budget for this, and I get they probably drew it themselves. Yeah. Okay. And I'm cool with that. They had a, a, I mean, they're in high of Crayola markers and. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. They had the the Dollar Tree magic marker set. Yeah. So we know that it was it was done on a very limited. Hey, buddy, can you give me a drawing budget? Yeah. But still, it's bad. And now, for a band that had a budget, because Anthrax didn't have a budget, I get, I'll give them that. Pantera had no budget, which, I mean, they had less of a budget than, than, than Anthrax. Iron Maiden had a budget. I don't know what the hell they did with it. But Aerosmith's first album, the, that is my number one. That is quite possibly the most pathetic album. Because you know what? At least Pantera 
you know, made an effort to do something. Aerosmith made no effort whatsoever on that first album cover. And then not only that, then they looked disinterested. Like, why are we here taking a picture? <laughs> I mean, was it Steve Perry's? Not, I mean, Steve Perry, Joe Perry's not even looking at the, at the, at the camera. I don't think Steve Perry was looking at no. the camera at all. No, he wasn't. I mean, it's just, uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously, that album cover is one of the worst. Well, they're just kind of floating in the clouds. And they're floating. I mean, so there's two of them. There's two versions. There's one where they're floating in the clouds with the same picture that's zoomed up on the other version. So if you have the zoomed up one that takes up the whole cover, you have five guys in front. That's at least a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, yeah, it's not Joe Perry. It's Joey Kramer. He's so disinterested. Like He's not even looking. He's just looking over to the side. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's not, <laughs> but what is it? Hey, do I have to be here? I mean, that's what he's saying. And the rest of the guys just look like, yeah, we're tough guys from Boston. But well, yeah. Except for Brad Hamilton. He's, he's just kind of smiling like it's his yearbook photo. <laughs> it looks like he just graduated. <laughs> it's a bad high school photo. All right, so we've talked about replacement members. We've talked about bands and, and how they are, you know, original members not being there, replacement members there, you know, how they sound, who they sound, who they like, if we want to go see them. And we've talked about some of the worst album covers out there. Tell the people how they can find us. Well, if you liked our big four... Or just want to send us some pictures of uh, bad album covers? Uh, be sure to check us out on social media. Like us on Facebook under Debating Metal, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Debating Metal. If you prefer, you can email us at debatingmetal at gmail.com. You can listen to us by downloading the Podbean app or streaming us on podbean.com. We are also now on iTunes, so subscribe, listen, and rate us. If you agreed with our comments or just want to rip us a new one, be sure to leave your comments so we can read them. And if we like them, we'll read them on the show. Well, that's this show for this week. Uh, We will see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks.